Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. Again, and welcome to Orgullo Hispano. This is the podcast for the Hispanic Leaders Network. My name is Hector Sabido, and I am excited and delighted to uh, introduce to you our next guest. Uh, but before we do that, I would like to thank our sponsors that have made this podcast available, uh, the Leadership Empowerment Group and Wilkerson Hatch Bailey. So thank you to our sponsors who have done a phenomenal job in supporting us. Uh, but I would like to introduce Mr. Aaron Peña, Assistant Superintendent for Midway Independent School District. Aaron, thank you so much for being and joining us with us today. Well, thank you for having me. I'm glad to be here. Hey, Aaron, I, I, I appreciate you being here today, especially during Hispanic Heritage Month, uh, because I think you work in a field uh, where probably growing up, you and I didn't have too many educators or administrators uh, that looked like you and I or maybe spoke the language that we did. Um, and so to see people like you that are accomplished, um, educated, and that are just really making major moves, I have to say, man, that we are very proud of you and that you do uh, a phenomenal job of representing Hispanics or Latinos uh, very well. And so I know sometimes people might say, well, I don't represent everyone. But, you know, I will say that there is such a pride when we see each other um, really being successful in life. And so I want to get to know a little bit about you and your upbringing. And so if you don't mind uh, introducing us and, and to our listeners to who Aaron Peña is. Sure, absolutely. I have, um, well, I'll start with uh, kind of the current Aaron Pena okay. and, and go uh, go back to the beginning. I have a beautiful wife, um, Patricia Pena. Uh, the better half, right? My better half, <laughs> yes. Patricia Avila Pena. Um, and uh, just just great family on, on uh, that side of the family. Um, three beautiful girls, Isabella, Gabriella, and Mia. Who have graduated from? Hey, Midway. we we have a Mia also. So yeah, that's awesome. man, it's a great name. And my my youngest Mia is still a Midway junior. Okay. Uh, right now at Midway High School, um, but as as for me, I was born in San Antonio, Texas. Okay. Um, and my family, I, I consider myself uh, Mexican American, and I know our titles change. Our titles sure. change, don't they? We, we, uh, we've seen a transition from Chicano to yes. Latino to Tejano to more recently Latinx. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't know if I'm too excited about it. I, I still consider myself <laughs> Latino, you know. Good. Good. Um, but yes, yeah, so uh, born in San Antonio, my parents, um, my dad was also born in. Actually, he was born in Brownsville, but but okay. lived primarily in San Antonio, and his parents were also born in Texas. Okay, and I remember growing up, I didn't realize that. I, I always assumed they were from Mexico, and they sure. spoke primarily Spanish, 
Um, but as it turns out, uh, my dad's side of the family uh, came from just down in the valley, the Brownsville, Matamoros area. Okay. Yeah. They were actually born on the Texas side. And my great-grandparents, it's kind of unknown. Like, were they really from Mexico? Were they really from Texas? Because sure. apparently back then, the the border really wasn't, you know, as a separation sure. as it is today. Sure. And so this is kind of interesting. So I'm possibly third generation, possibly fourth generation. Who knows? Texan, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Texan. Um, and then on my mom's side, uh, my, my mom was also, she was born in Texas, in San Antonio. Uh-huh. Um, grandparents uh on my mom's side my grandfather was born in monterrey and my grandmother some small town out uh out of a couple hundred miles mm-hmm. from mexico city mm-hmm. and i don't even remember sure. the name sure um but growing up i uh started out in san antonio hispanic neighborhood um there on the west side of san antonio people who know san antonio is down culebra street somewhere <laughs> and uh, uh really great Great childhood, went to, um, started out in elementary school. Everybody looked like me, San Antonio, you know, sure, inner sure. city, sure. all Hispanic. Um, my teachers, I remember it was a Mr. Mata, uh, Mrs. Rodriguez, sure, you know, sure. and then. So, so that's interesting, Aaron. So you actually did have teachers that uh, looked like you. So, so yes, that's yes. awesome. I think that's awesome because I think you will, we are realizing that us maybe growing up didn't have that opportunity, but I guess in San Antonio, it, it, it would be different because yeah. the majority of people that live there are Hispanics or Latinos. Absolutely. And even, even back then. Uh, and so, and I think it really is situational mm-hmm. depends where you happen to be, um, you know, at a, at a certain time period, because sure. same, same goes for people in the Valley or people in El Paso. Um, and for me in San Antonio, some of the areas in Houston, but then, my family moved when I was in second grade to a little town. It's not so little anymore, but Bastrop, Texas, mm-hmm. which is outside of Austin, a mm-hmm. few miles outside of Austin. It's changed now, but then uh, it was primarily white. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so I remember walking into my second grade class and seeing a sea of white kids. <laughs> um, and, and it went fine, and I did fine. Um, and, of course, my first language was English, sure. so that definitely helped. Sure. Um, but it was a bit of a culture shock. Um, so all my friends were white for those years, my teachers. Um, and, you know, it's amazing how kids really are chameleons. And I just adapted, yeah, I adjusted, yeah. and I just became part of the, the white culture in a sense. Sure. And um, uh, if you flash forward a few years or fast forward a few years, we then moved again when I was uh, an eighth grader. Get right, getting ready to okay. enter high school, sure. and uh, we moved to inner city Houston, and uh, specifically Second Ward. Wow, uh, we call it the East End, and all Hispanic once right. again. Right, and right. Uh, that was yet an, a culture shock for again. me, yet yeah. again, but in reverse. That is interesting. Yeah. So yeah. explain that a little bit. Like, what do you mean by in reverse? Uh, <clears throat> well, you know, I, you know, going from the, the, the Houston culture where I was to this Bastrop culture at the time was, we're very from Hispanic to then a white culture. Um, and I kind of adopted, I guess, this kind of white culture, I guess, for myself mm-hmm. in a lot of ways, and just, you know, just out of uh, the circumstance, um, my friends were, were all, you know, from, from, uh, white background Mm -hmm. and all Mm -hmm. of their parents, their friends, my teachers, everybody. Mm -hmm. And then when I moved to Houston, it, it really switched. And 
goodness, I don't know if I had any white friends anymore when wow. I got to those schools, right. uh, in particular there in Houston ISD. And uh, I remember walking into Didi Middle School and um, – See, because we're out from where I came from, it was a very strict dress code. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, you had to have your hair cut a certain way. Cer- a certain sure, way. Absolutely sure. no facial hair. Right. And I walk in and I see some some guys with ponytails, long hair. I remember that seeing. That almost like grown men, right? Like grown men. <laughs> and I remember uh, in eighth grade uh, seeing a, a couple of guys with tattoos. Oh, wow. Um, you know, some facial hair. And I was, it was very different for me. Wow. Um, not bad, different, sure, but sure. just different. Um, I remember walking in, I, I was wearing penny loafers and <laughs> I thought to myself, I'm going to have to change a few things, <laughs> you know, about myself. And, uh, then went to high school there in, uh, inner city, Houston, uh, Stephen F. Austin high school, uh-huh. right near the university of Houston, um, central campus and, uh, had a great experience. But very different. Sure, and then sure. guess what, Hector? Another culture shock. I went to Baylor yep. after I So I now graduated. you're going back. <laughs> so then I went back. Uh-huh. And really, that's kind of been um, the pattern of my life okay. for, for these decades. And I wouldn't trade it for the world because awesome. I, I have gotten to um, really understand and respect uh, different cultures. Absolutely. I absolutely love my culture, right, my right. heritage, being you know from Mexican-American descent but Texan, you know, Tejano. Right, right, right. Um, but there are so many other cultures, too, that, that deserve my respect as sure, well. Sure, sure. So, so, is, so is Baylor what brought you to Waco eventually? It is. Okay. It, it, well, it brought me to Waco initially. <clears throat> and um, my wife, uh, Patricia, she and I met in high school. So uh-huh. we've known each other for years and years. And... Um, I went off to Baylor after high school and we were just friends and she went to Houston Baptist, stayed there in okay. the Houston area. And we started dating when we were both freshmen in college. And I, uh, I was at Baylor and uh, lured her to end up transferring to Baylor. Oh, wow. Uh, financially it wasn't the best decision, but every, every, another, every other way. It, it was, it was a win-win, decision. right? <laughs> Absolutely. Um, yeah. And so uh, that brought us to Waco, but just like every Baylor student, you're thinking, well, I cannot wait to get out of Waco sure, when sure. I graduate. And that, and that was us. And we graduated, got married, and headed straight back to Houston, right, right. which we considered home okay. at the time. But, you know, um, through a series of circumstances, uh, we came to realize that Waco is an awesome place mm-hmm. to raise a family. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. There's so much going for it. We like the size. And um, we also were um, interested in a church here in Waco Antioch Community Church. Mm-hmm. And for a little while, I thought I might even go into the ministry. Oh, wow. I did. I, I actually went to um, Southwestern Seminary for a year and studied Greek. Uh, took some classes. I was a youth pastor while also um, sure. remaining in education. Sure. Um, but, you know, just, you know, God has a, a, a way of, of kind of aligning our path and uh, I just realized that education was where I could make the dif- a difference. Uh-huh. Um, and so we came back um, for a job. I became a an assistant principal in Waco ISD at University High School. Go Trojans. Uh, yeah, once a Trojan, always a Trojan, <laughs> That's right. right, as they say. 
And a uh, fantastic place, um, wonderful people. Um, I was mentored by another Hispanic gentleman. Mm-hmm. He's no longer in the area, but Mr. Correa, Nolan mm-hmm. Correa. Uh, owe so much uh, to him. He taught me a lot. Um, and so Waco is just the right place, the Waco area sure. um, for our young family. So, so you know, now after your upbringing and here you go, hearing you go through various culture shocks, like going from San Antonio to Bastrop to Houston uh, and then to Baylor, what do you think attributed um, or, or let me ask you this first, in, in each of those transitions, did you ever feel like you were out of place there or did you ever feel like, man, I don't belong here? What, what was that experience like? I, I did actually um, in each of those transitions, probably my, in the uh, younger years, it wasn't quite so much, okay. you know, and I really do think that the younger kids are just uh, the more adaptive they are. Mm-hmm. They, they're just, um, they can just get used to things. Sure. Um, as you get older, you notice your differences, sure, sure. Uh, even if they're little. Right. Um, but they become so, more obvious. Uh, absolutely. And so I think in each of those transitions, it was pretty tough. Coming from Bastrop to the inner city Houston schools was tough for me. Um, but that semester as an eighth grader was rough, and I was homesick. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I was involved in everything back in Bastrop. Okay, band, baseball, football. I mean, sure. just the whole the whole deal. I was in the honors classes. I had my life planned. Right, right. You know, for for a kid. You know, right at that at that young age. Yeah, yeah. When I got to this this other school, I, I didn't want to do anything. Sure. It's like I, this is in my school. These aren't my people. Right. And so I kind of went through that. Completely. I felt out of place. Right. Um, and then that went away when I got into high school. You know, I, I grew up a little mm-hmm. bit and mm-hmm. got involved and had had tons and tons of friends. And, and it was great. Then I felt kind of the same uh, when I came to Baylor a little bit. Um, it wasn't maybe so so outright, I guess. But I I missed the culture. I right. missed the Hispanic culture. Mm-hmm. Um and, you know, funny thing, when my wife and I started dating that, that first year, I started going home to visit her. But, man, it was refreshing. And every weekend we would go out looking for dances. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and I, I don't, back in those days, you know, of course, Selena, everybody sure. knows Selena sure. now. But back then, I, only we knew Selena, you know. <laughs> um, and Moss and La Mafia. Yep. Yep. And all the big Navaya, All those guys, man. We would go find them. We'd go dance. And, right. man, I, I would just come alive. I, I felt like I um, this is where I belong. Mm-hmm. Even though I was getting a great education, I love Baylor. Sure. Um, but I think for me, it was helpful to kind of go back and reimmerse myself in yep what I knew and was what was my culture and my background. Well, you know, it's interesting you mentioned that about Baylor because I even think um, when we were both there, you know, and I know we were there at different times, but we were both there, uh, probably the Hispanic or Latino population, well, not probably, it was a lot lower than what you see it is now. And personally, like I've, I've loved the initiatives that the university has taken to bring in not only more Hispanics or Latinos to the university, but just people of color in general. Because I remember um, when I was there, there was only one Latino organization for the entire school, and now there's seven or eight of them. And so I've enjoyed seeing that growth as Baylor University has flourished and has grown 
um, and their efforts to really become more inclusive as a, as a school. And so was your experience like that also when you were at the university? Like you were probably one of the few in your classroom, if not the only Latino. Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> and so that, that's what drew you to go back home and just get a taste of home on it, the weekend. It did. It did. And when my wife transferred, she kind of went through similar kind of because mm-hmm. she her her upbringing was Houston mm-hmm. through and through like sure. forever. Sure. Uh, she didn't have those experiences that I did. And so for her, Baylor was was a big shock as well. And so I helped her kind of kind of navigate that. But I remember when we were there those years, the Hispanic people would sort of find each other, mm-hmm. you know? Right. You just, uh, the, right. Oh, that old saying, birds of a feather flock, <laughs> flock together. together. Right. And we congregate so at the sub. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you'd find each other. Um, and, of course, I had I had other friends from, I mean, I had Asian friends sure. and white Absolutely. friends and, and African-American friends. But, you know, there's just something about getting together with people who, get you mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. they get your background they understand they, it right. exactly you know like a, after a while everybody acts like your cousins you know like you go way <laughs> right. back right and i right. think that's something unique about our culture exactly that, that I, I really admire it, it's that familia like you know uh we take care of each other we look out for Absolutely. each other and so i i completely agree with you aaron um now we'll tell you the first time that i remember really meeting you we did a panel discussion at Baylor University speaking, and we were invited to a classroom to talk about uh, Latinos and Hispanics. And um, I don't know if you recall this, but, you know, uh, I'm originally from Waco. And uh, so I've always been familiar with Midway. And, and of course, I went to university, so we were big rivals in sports and everything. But, you know, the the back then, a lot of the Hispanics or Latinos or people of color uh, that attended Midway maybe didn't have so many good experiences with the school district. But when I heard you speak, um, you spoke very highly of the district and, and the positive influence has been on your life and your career. And I was glad, if I can say, to hear that. And so I want to touch a little bit how has your experience at Midway uh, with the school district specifically been for you? Wow. You know, it, it's one, it's, I moved to the Midway District 12 years ago, I guess. It's going on 13. Uh, one of the best decisions I've made for my family. It's a wonderful place. The district is is stellar. Um, of course, I had a lot of control because my girls went to the elementary school where I was principal. And right. if you know, and if anybody knows me, I'm very competitive. <laughs> if I'm involved in something, that's gonna be you the number win. one. <laughs> Um, and so back in, in those days, Woodway really, it really was on top. I mean, it's verifiable. Mm -hmm. You can go look at scores and designations and awards. And it was just really being blessed, not, not because of me, but Mm -hmm. really the team that we had there. And so my girls benefited from that. Um, but that was Midway. It really allowed me to recruit the best teachers. Um, it allowed me and our team to get, um, as much family involvement as we wanted, Mm -hmm. which was fantastic. Because prior to that, I was a a principal um, in Waco. And there are challenges. When you're in an inner city school, there are challenges that um, being in a suburban school, in the suburban schools, you just never will fully understand unless you've Mm -hmm. experienced it. Right, right. And so I recognize that I was at a very blessed place. Mm -hmm. Um, But we also have poor students in Midway. We've got our largest, our 
fastest growing population percentage wise is our Hispanic population. Mm -hmm. And things are changing a little bit now. Um, Midway is an interesting place. It, when, when you look at our growth, um, it had been the white population, African-American population had been declining percentage wise, not okay. numbers, but percentage wise, because the Hispanic population was growing and things have kind of evened out okay. for all of the, the larger um, populations. Uh, but I, I wanted to make a difference for all kids. Awesome. And in a place like Midway, uh, you really can do that. Mm -hmm. You've got your rich kids. You've got mm -hmm. your poor kids. You've got everybody in the middle. You've got different ethnicities. And I really like making a difference for all kids. Of course, Hispanic kids mm -hmm. as well. Um, but really, every kid deserves right. the best teachers yes. we can find. And that's what we're trying to build at Midway. It's getting tough, though, Hector. Yeah. Um, it's getting harder to find teachers, not only for us, not only for, for Waco in this area, but, gosh, all over the state in Texas and, and, and the U.S. even. You, you know, uh, I'm glad you brought that up because I do want to talk about that. You know, with you being in the education realm, we've heard, um, especially since the pandemic or, you know, towards the latter part of the height of the pandemic, that uh, many teachers have either decided to uh, retire or maybe change careers, uh, just the stress of the job. And so um, obviously I think we all know how important uh, public education is and to have quality teachers there. What do you foresee, if you can, like if you had to look in your crystal ball, what do you foresee the public education system looking like? Not only here locally, but like you said, nationally, uh, do you see teachers coming back and um, what changes do you might foresee coming as well? Whoa, Hector, that's, <laughs> a, that's a loaded question. I know, uh, I'm sorry, buddy. So if, <clears throat> I think if things don't change in society, um, if there aren't a lot of changes, we are going to see um, fewer teachers who went into education from the very beginning who have the traditional high quality hours and hours of, you know, the school of education programs like I went through at mm -hmm. Baylor. I mean, mm -hmm. they really, really prepared as well. Wonderful. And even with that preparation, when you go into your first classroom, you realize this is a tough job. Right. Right. Do I really know what I'm doing? Right. And so I think what's going to end up happening and it's going to happen, um, I guess at a greater rate, in the inner city schools and in the in the in the hard to fill um, positions in schools, you're going to have a lot of non-teachers entering the classroom to try to become teachers, mm -hmm. and they're going to have to do a lot of on-the-job learning and training. It's going to be tough for them. It's going to be tough for kids. It's going to be tough for schools. The things that need to change are the pay. Mm -hmm. Pay has to go up. Mm -hmm. We as, in, in school districts have to find ways to um, acquire the funding so that we can give our teachers higher raises. This 2% increase um, isn't, isn't sustainable if we want to, like you said, bring people back into the right. profession. So that has to happen. But then also, and this is probably the even greater challenge, for a lot of teachers, it's a hostile work environment. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of teachers get... Um, the, the job has always been hard. Teaching sure, is always sure. tough and getting kids to learn. But when you get kids who are behind, you get kids who are discipline problems 
And then you have parents who are fighting you as a teacher for expecting more out of a student for um, getting on to a kid, mm-hmm. for misbehaving, mm-hmm. bullying for this or that. But then you have to deal with the parent uh, harassing mm-hmm. a, a teacher. Teachers leave the profession. A right. lot of them decide, you know, I don't need this. Right. I, I should right. go to work and not get beat up by all sides. Or even fear for your life. You know, In right? some cases, even yeah. that, yeah. Uh, and so it's, and, and we're even feeling some of those kind of pressures in Midway. Mm-hmm. It's it's not this, you know, wow, I'm going to go to Midway and take it easy. It's right. going to be, so, no, it, it's a tough job anywhere and everywhere. Um, and so that, that's a, that's, that's a tall order. I, you know, we've got a, you know, I mean, the Hispanic population, I remember growing up, goodness, man, if I, if, if my parents got a phone call from the school and, and they said that, you know, <laughs> you were acting, little <laughs> Aaron was acting like a knucklehead, I was going to get it at home too. You, you are, we knew that, right? Absolutely. We knew that. There was home. no, oh, but what was the other kid doing? Right. Oh, but what, what did you do, teacher, right. to right. make my kid feel this way? Correct. Or why did you make my kid feel, <laughs> I mean, it sounds silly when I say it, Hector, um, but parents these days, and even our own Hispanic community, not everybody, but yeah. uh, they, they take the other approach that we didn't grow up with and the teachers who taught us didn't have to deal with. So right. it's getting tough. Um, you know what? The, it's worth it, though. Yeah. It, the, the challenges are worth it. I, I really believe that. Um, we need people. I, I consider it a calling on my life to of work in the district, to work with, with students, to work with teachers, to try mm-hmm. to raise up principals, try to raise up other leaders. Um, so if anybody wants to get into education, you know, that's what you need to consider. It's got to be a calling. Yep. So, so, you know, our time, Aaron, has gone by fast, and I've enjoyed talking to you. And so, but before we leave, I do want to ask you, if you are, there's going to be listeners out there that are possibly um, thinking about getting in the education field or maybe are in the education field, but are thinking now it's time to do a career change. What last words would you say to them? I think I would say, uh, get help before you make that decision. If you got into education, there was a reason for it. Mm -hmm. Um, and if you're deciding to get out, it's probably negative. The, the reason for that is probably negative. So before making such a big decision like that, um, get help. You can call up somebody like me. I'm sure. always willing to help. There's always ways to make a classroom better, uh, to handle the difficult situation in a way to where it isn't as difficult in the future. Um, it really is a marvelous profession. Um, but if you're getting beat up by it, people can help you. Sure. Call people. Don't just throwing the towel. I love that, that, that advice, like getting help. Uh, because I think at one point or another, you and I can agree to this. We all need to reach out sometimes and just say, Hey, I need some guidance. I need some advice. I need some help. But even within our culture, sometimes we are taught growing up that our business is our business you and you have no one to have that, it all together. And you have to have it all together or people are going to perceive you that you're not qualified for the job, but it's okay to ask for help. Absolutely. And even necessary. Awesome. Mr. Peña, thank you. It's been an honor to speak with you. I have really um, just admire you for your career and the man that you are. And so thank you for taking time out to, to speak to our audience today. I appreciate it. Anytime. 
And thank you guys out there again for listening. I do want to thank once again our sponsors are the Leadership Empowerment Group and also Braz's Funeral Home. And please make sure you come back to check in for the next guest that we will have on Orgullo Hispano. Take care. This has been a Rogue Media Podcast.